So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1309, Eve Rotsky, author of Find Your Unicorn Space, Reclaim Your Creative Life in a Too Busy World. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Vanity project, hobby, passion project, all of these terrible words that connote a nice to have was not understanding the science that living a creative life, a magical life, a life where you literally come alive, doesn't have to be every second of every day. That is not realistic. But times like this for me, when I get to speak to smart, amazing women that I have, you know, fangirl crushes on and say, I'm going to forget that this half an hour, this 45 minutes even happened. It'll go by in one second. That aliveness, that flow state, that's linked to our longevity and our mental health. Welcome back to So Money, everybody. It's Farnoosh. I'm so glad that you've joined. Very, very excited to share the conversation I'm about to share with Eve Rotsky. She's a friend and friend of the show. And you may remember our conversation a while back when Eve released her first New York Times bestselling book called Fair Play. It was a game-changing approach to helping partners rebalance the domestic workload, and it sparked a national conversation, launched a movement, in fact, towards greater equality on the home front, a favorite by the Reese Witherspoon Book Club. Following that, Eve has now released Find Your Unicorn Space, a practical guide for reclaiming or discovering for the first time your talents, interests, skills, curiosities that are lying dormant in our too busy grind of everyday life. Eve shares more about the unicorn space. What does that mean actually? We both share our own individual unicorn spaces and how to rediscover your interests, cultivate creativity now more than ever, why it's so important. Here's Eve Rotsky. Eve Rotsky, welcome back to So Money. I cannot, I have been waiting for this. When I got your book and I heard you were available for an interview, I was like, yes, let's make it happen. And we are here. Thank you for joining. Well, I appreciate you having me back because as I was saying to you earlier, I don't listen to many podcasts, but yours is a um, must listen to me because uh, at the end of the day, everything I do is really related to women's economic security. And so um, thank you for having one of your unicorn spaces being sharing with the world (laughs) because uh, your perspective is very important. Well, that just means the world to me, Eve. Um, And you are such a champion for women and for us to become the greatest financial versions of ourselves as possible. Your first book is what I fell in love with, uh, Fair Play, where you're urging women to rebalance their domestic responsibilities and reclaim time for themselves. I first saw you speak on stage uh, at the J.P. Morgan Chase Women on the Move event, and we were all so captivated. Loved your story about this breakdown with blueberries that you had and Uh, we're not going to dive into that. You can go read the book and you listen to our episode about that turning point in your life and the, the launch for fair play. And you have helped so many women do just that really find that balance, bring their spouses more into the fold 
And now you're encouraging us to find some playtime. The unicorn space, as you call it, your book is called Find Your Unicorn Space, Reclaim Your Creative Life in a Too Busy World. Assuming we have graduated from fair play, (laughs) we can now do this. Tell us what you mean, Eve, by unicorn space. Well, it's so interesting because creativity, um, you know, wasn't a space that I thought would necessarily be the sequel for uh, Fair Play. But what happened to my listeners were so many of them and the readers of the book, but people who were listening all over the world with these messages or reading them were basically saying to me, you know, well, I wouldn't even know what to do if I reclaimed my time. So as you said, the premise of fair play is that as a society, we've decided to guard men's time as if it's finite like diamonds. And we treat and view and value women's time as if it's infinite like sand. And we know this, right? All you have to do is look at what happens when women enter a male profession salaries automatically go down. Um, If you hear cultural messaging like breastfeeding is free um, when it's really an 1800 hour a year job, um, you know, we heard it when women would say to themselves um, about, and it got worse, 153% worse um, during the pandemic when women would say to themselves, well, I can find the time. My partner is better at focusing on one task at the time. And the time it takes me to tell him or they what to do, I should do it myself. I'm a better multitasker. My partner makes more money than me. So I should do all the domestic labor that ends up eating up all of my uh, infinite time. These are all what we talked about in episode one. Um, this is our sequel. But what we first talked about was that women become complicit in our own oppression because actually our time uh, is our most valuable currency. And you've talked about that um, all over in your many themes and your podcast. But time being our most valuable currency or one of our most valuable currencies, but I would argue the most valuable currency in a capitalist patriarchy and women since birth were taught to give it away, give it away for free. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this book is about what happens when you create that boundary to believe you have a permission to be unavailable from your roles as a partner, parent and or professional. When I think of unicorn, I think of like these billion dollar companies these these outliers, but that's not what that I need to change that mindset because what you mean here by unicorn, I think is like the magic. This is where the magic happens. 100%. I'll tell you how I got to the name because exactly. Well, first of all, I hated that um, companies that exploit people and have unrealistic valuations were claiming the term unicorn. I wanted to reclaim that term. Yes. Um, I did not want it to be used um in that fashion. But really the way the term came up, this idea of unicorn space was because when I started to ask, and now there were 750 unique interviews for this book, but there's thousands more anecdotal interviews that I will compound and add to it. And when I would ask people, you know, after I'd asked all the fair play questions about, you know, how did mustard get in your refrigerator? One of the questions I started to ask was, well, what makes you you and how do you share it with the world? And that question, people got very defensive over it. They got angry. 
they would say, well, being a mother. And I'd say, no, that's a role. What makes you you? Or they would say, uh, you know, their job. And I would say, no, that's a role. That's a, you're a, that's a worker. Or they would say, well, you know, keeping my household together. A lot of men said that about their wives, that that's what made them them. I'm like, so basically you're saying your partner is, is them because they're your personal assistant. Like I, I don't, no one was understanding the question. And so I think it was because vanity project, hobby, mm-hmm. passion project, all of these terrible words that connote a nice to have was not understanding the science that living a creative life, a magical life, a life where you literally come alive. It doesn't have to be every second of every day. That is not realistic. But times like this for me, when I get to speak to smart, amazing women that I have you know, fangirl crushes on and say, I'm going to forget that this half an hour, this 45 minutes even happened. It'll go by in one second. That aliveness, that flow state, that's linked to our longevity and our mental health. Hmm. And so the idea of a space, taking up space, it's already subversive. Women are, are told to be seen and not heard, to be quiet. Um, we can't be loud and wrong. Definitely not. So taking up space is already subversive. But the idea of a unicorn space was that it was a magical space. But what I loved about it is it doesn't exist. Unicorns don't exist until we claim it, right? We have to actively claim it. And that that is why that term resonated so much for me. And I started to ask people about unicorn space as opposed to hobby, passion project, other things that felt um, that they were... Uh, pejorative over something that actually needs to be essential. Mm -hmm. And Eve, just like Fair Play, this book is personal to you. So tell us before we get into examples of how others can claim their unicorn space, what has been your unicorn space journey? It's a great question because for me, um, when I decided I wanted to write this book was actually when I was thinking of uh, a commencement speech for Nusha, I wanted to write... um, Right after JP Morgan, uh, I had this, I started to get requests to speak at commencements, which was amazing, women's colleges. And I started to write a commencement speech called to the 21-year-old women that you only have 10 years left to live. And it's it's actually really funny, I promise, but it was, <laughs> um, it was a really interesting premise to play with, this idea that we're told as young women that we could be it all, do it all, do anything. We hear songs that say girls run the world, but it's fundamentally a complete and total lie. Mm-hmm. And we start to discover that it's a lie around 31 uh, when we enter, even if we're not mothers, but we enter the years where we start getting discriminated against because we're the mother, we're mothers. The um, dirty little secret is that uh, 75% or more of the pay gap is actually a discrimination against mothers or women in the the age that they will possibly become mothers unless they scream somehow that that's not in their plan. And so I remember thinking, why was 31 so triggering for me? Why did I have 10 years left to live? And I realized that when Zach came into my arms at 31, what happened, this is my story, you know, people, this is not other people's family structure story, but for me, understanding that 31 was the time when discrimination was starting in the, in the messy middle plus my own story, it was interesting to recognize that for me, it was when Zach was handed to me 
in that hospital room at 31. And the nurse said, hi, mom. And then my friend came in the hospital room, visited me, gave me a cute necklace that had mom on a charm. And I started to wear that. And then cut to three years later, when I have my blueberries breakdown, which you can hear in our first episode, I'm sitting around in a toddler transition program with my son, Zach, with the preschool teacher saying, these are going to be your best friends in the whole world. And I look down at all of the other parents and on my name tag, I'm thinking to myself, okay, these parents are going to be my best friends in the whole world. But my name tag said Zach's mom. And I remember thinking, these are going to be my best friends. They don't even know my fucking name. <laughs> and that was an understanding that the reclaiming of our names, metaphorically, literally, taking up space, the permission to be unavailable, was something I knew that I needed to write about. And so I became very obsessed with understanding the journey mm -hmm. to really living in the full holistic part of, of you, which I call, as you know, unicorn space. How long after that did you actually tell everybody your name? Did you read in that moment? You're like, I'm actually Eve. I yeah, went well, to Harvard. Yes, yes, I went to Harvard. My name is Eve. Um, I'm an activist. I'm an author. I care about justice. But none of that was there for me because I didn't have the courage to use my voice. And so I think what was interesting about fair play and triggering a lot of books that sort of give you productivity tips are not as triggering, but fair play is triggering because I could have just made fair play, you know, a card game that you use to sort of rebalance your house because there's a card game that goes with the book. But I had to write about all of the things that prohibit us from actually just jumping into fair play, which is actually not rocket science. It's just based on organizational management principles of living in a place where your home is your most important organization. But it was so triggering the same way unicorn space is so triggering because um, there are three hurdles right now that kept coming up over and over again um, for people who understood and wanted to pursue a creative life. One was, as I said, the fact that society, their friends, their families, their partners didn't want to give them a permission to be unavailable from their roles, as I said, as partners, parents and professionals, um, even if you were unavailable or took the time, massive amount, massive amount of guilt and shame was, was raging amongst the people I interviewed. Oh my God, I sat down to learn my piano lessons and then my heart's pounding because I might as well go pick up uh, Benny from his, from his, you know, daycare. Um, and then also this hurdle, this permission to ask for what we need, whether it's from our boss whether it's from our roommates, whether it's from our parents, from our friends, from our partners. So to me, before you can launch into what Unicorn Space is, and I'd love to do that because there is actually a secret formula mm -hmm. for creative thriving. I do think that pausing on what, what is your hurdle? You know, is it time? You know, I just can't, it's that, it's Eve, you're asking me to do something at, at the end. Another thing at the end of my never ending to do list. Is it that you don't, you know, how to use your voice yet? Because like I did, or is it because you feel guilt and shame when you do it? Because society doesn't prioritize creative living, but no. actually, as we said, it is, it is not only essential, there's nothing optional about it. 
Well, and in a technology driven world where bots and algorithms are taking over a lot of jobs, the creative jobs are the ones that cannot be replicated. It's not just a nice to have, as you put this, is practical and it's, a necess- it's essential as we walk into uh, the future. You said that for you, speaking up and claiming this was, was your hurdle. For those who are identifying with the time hurdle, how do we find the time? People often say, show me your schedule. I'll tell you your priorities. So do we make sure we kind of just start with the unicorn space and build everything around that and honor that time first? Yeah. Well, I think I was thinking um, my friend Robin Arzan was interviewed for the book. um, And she has this great quote that um, we need to make it matter in order to make it happen. So again, that's why first for me, it was the reclaiming of the, of the name of what this thing is that a unicorn space is, if you think that it's essential to your mental and physical health, then you'll, you'll believe that you prioritize it as much or more than a resolution to, to exercise. Um, now the good news about the creative formula, and this is really what it was. It was a combination furnish of curiosity plus connection plus completion. Now, the beauty of that formula is that it actually doesn't really take that much time. If you look at your screen time app and you see how much time maybe you've spent on, you know, Instagram, LinkedIn or whatever, um, it doesn't take that much time to actually be curious about something. And so, and my friend said, well, what do you mean? Like scrolling my friend's Venmo transactions? And I said, (laughs) no, not that type of curiosity. But what this book tries to help people do is recognizing what this book helps people do is understand our motivations for how we make decisions. As somebody who works in organizational management, I do a three word audit of the organizations I work with. And I come in and I say, I don't need all these questionnaires and your former consultants had a 60 page document. I just need to know three words. Uh, Who makes decisions? So I'll ask you that. Who's making your decisions? Is it your boss? Is it your kids? Is it your partner? Who is making your decisions for you? Or is it you? Because I know that for me, when I make my own decisions, and I really can set that boundary to make decisions for me, I start to prioritize things that benefit my mental and physical health, my longevity, because I, I'm intentional about it. And so what I mean by this is, I'll give one quick example of this amazing woman, Kat. So she had a very full life. She works full-time at Sam's Club, has a, had a toddler at the time. Uh, her husband's an auto mechanic with very um, erratic hours. And one night she's reading to her son, And her husband walks in the room and says, you know, you narrate books. You're not just reading to our son. Like you're narrating, like you are, you should narrate books for, for fun or for a living or, and he put this curiosity in her head. Do who are those people who read books for a living? Right. I, she listens to a lot of audible books on her way to work. Who are those people? And could that be me? She just started getting curious about it. And her first step was, When she was at Sam's Club, one day there happened to be a microphone on clearance. And then the next full step was to research, is there websites where I can upload an audition? 
And then the next week she read Princesses Behaving Badly, one page of it, uploads it. The next <laughs> week she gets a call saying she booked her first audition. The next week she's recording a book. And then she writes a tattoo on her arm that says, reading books is like breathing air. And her mother said, are you insane that you put a tattoo on your arm for something you've done once? And her point was, you know what? Well, that can never be taken away from me. Mm -hmm. That's the antidote to the rain. We can't drown in the rain. We need an umbrella. And so the idea of starting to get curious and moving small steps forward that they signal seriousness is how you start. You say this is not a hobby, as this example illustrates. This wasn't like a fun thing. It actually turned into quite um, an impressive branch off the trunk of her tree. Of yes. her, the tree is her life, right? It's like a, a, a beautiful oak tree. What are some other examples? And what are you doing in your unicorn space, Eve? I'll tell you, and then I'll tell you mine. I want to hear your, well, I'm hoping, what I wanted to say to you, reflect back on you and yours, is that um, I will say this podcast, again, whether you make a dollar from it or billion dollars from it, the idea that you are curious about what people have to say, whoever you book, you connect with them, and then you take the difficult step of, completing, right? That's the hard part. A lot of times the fact that, oh, that interview didn't go the way I wanted to, or, you know, this has been hard to edit, but the fact that you actually put it into the world is a unicorn space, um, activity. And so I will say, continue to do that for me. Um, I'm really inspired by this woman named Renee Brinkerhoff that I interviewed who had 56 after being a stay at home mom, her whole life felt she had a need for speed, as she says, and she started to um, drive race cars. She's now at 67, one of the top rally car racers in the world. She's in Antarctica as we speak, racing across Antarctica. So we don't all have to be that, but I will say that the need for speed, the need for movement, the opposite of being an object at rest, you know, the physics of being an object in motion stays in motion during a year of sedentary sitting on Zooms is feeling very resonant to me for new. So I started with dance, as I write about in the book. Um, my cousin and I are doing all these new TikTok dances and we're about <laughs> to share them with the world and embarrass our kids. Um, but the other unicorn space that I've been focused on in the, just the past couple of weeks is I'm, I really want to write a murder mystery. I would pick that up and then uh, Reese Witherspoon will make it into yes, a, a yes. movie. I, I see it already. I see I'm manifesting. What is yours? Tell me more about yours. Um, so well, move, sorry, oh, movement and murder. So I guess <laughs> I've never said that out loud, but I guess hey. if people ask me from now on, I'll say you helped me clarify it. My new unicorn space is movement and murder. Um, well, I wish we had, you had interviewed me for your book. I feel like maybe I could have been in an, an anecdote in the book. Um, a few years ago, after my second was born, I, I had had a couple of girlfriends take stand-up comedy class. And if you know me, there's a lot of laughter in my household. I am fascinated with stand-up comedians. I think it's one of the hardest things to do. 
uh, it's such a study for me. And I thought I'm going to do what my girlfriends did. You know, I'm going to take this class. It was at the Manhattan School of Comedy. It was Wednesday. I, can't I didn't know this about you. I'm going to yeah. die that well, I don't have you in the book. There's more. So I, you know, I was the busiest, but I made time for it. It was Wednesday evening, starting at seven o'clock. And when we, the first night we were all in a circle and it's, I'm probably the oldest one in there. Um, by, by a lot. And everyone's, the teacher's like, so what brought you here? And everyone, you know, people are saying, well, I've always been interested in comedy. My friends tell me I'm funny. And then <laughs> it gets to me and I go, well, I felt as though this would be a great opportunity to not change diapers for an hour, you know, or <laughs> just not be mom for an hour. And, you know, I was joking, uh, but that I'll be honest, uh, was an, uh, an added benefit to uh, being in this unicorn space. Long story short, I complete the class. We have a night where we perform in front of friends and family at Gotham Comedy, which was like a wow. really big deal. They film it. It goes on YouTube. My, you know, like 12 people watch it. But one person in particular watched it, a literary agent, and she reached out and she had been a friend through, you know, a, a, like a distant friend. She said, do you have more material like this? And I said, oh, sure. <laughs> you know, you mean like, written down or I mean it's all in my head I was basically telling the jokes of my life like you know with stand-up comedy it's like just make fun of what you know <laughs> what triggers you don't come out of the gate trying to be you know Jerry Seinfeld um, just start with like the most triggering things in your life that usually leads to a laugh so I was talking about growing up as a you know, the kid with the unibrow, the Persian mom who uh, denied me of all luxuries and freedoms, but it made me who I am. And, and she said, this is, this is something I think you have to keep writing. And she stuck with me. She kept pushing me to write and write and write. And I got a book coming out next year, Eve, called A Healthy State of Panic. No way! <laughs> how to win at life when the world's oh out God. to get you. It's about how to like leverage fear. Because I kind of had to, I worked, I'm like, just let the sort of these stories, I'm like, what's beneath all these stories? I realized it was about fear and how you said, you know, you have to not drown in the rain, but have an umbrella. And I wrote that down because I'm like, fear is like rain mm -hmm. where we, we try to avoid it or we just let it take over, but you're, but you have to have a relationship with it. You have to either carry that umbrella or wear the raincoat, you know, or maybe sometimes stay indoors, but fear is not something to sort of just ignore. We're really good at being scared. Why not leverage our strengths? Right. That's <laughs> so I'm trying to combine like this humor with something that's really, I hope profound, will, you know, hopefully people will profound. connect with that, but I am living the unicorn space manifesto. I am living you it. You are. And I wonder, can I interview you for our podcast? Because I love it. I'm like tearing up and I'm Aww. very, very sad. <laughs> I didn't know. But this is my point. I mean, you my have point a thousand is, anecdotes. I no, think you have no, your research. No, but this is my point. And why I'm writing this down is because what was so interesting about, um, especially during the pandemic, people seeing, peering inside people's hopes, right? There was something very transcendent and disruptive about not pretending anymore. And the and unicorn space is actually a version of not pretending. And so I remember so many people would say to me, oh my God, I love her so much more because I know she's, you know, not just, you know, brilliant and, um, 
and disciplined, but she's fucking hilarious, right? There was uh, people all throughout the book in my interviews that didn't get in that said things like, oh my God, Ed, you know, um, is, you know, my neighbor, he, he grows ugly vegetables. Like I thought he was an asshole, but he's sort of funny. Like who goes to competitions with their, you know, misshaped gourds? Um, or this one woman who said, you know, her boss had a a vintage sewing machine behind her and she like sews clothes for dolls. You know, she's like, who is this person? And it does give, you know, in a time where we have no, you know, you can feel like we've lost our humanity in our fear, you know, where we go back to these, uh, you know, the, the lizard brain states of fear, everybody's at risk to you getting you sick or stay away Um, I do believe that the way back to connection is what you're saying here. It's the liberating yourself from fear and embracing a a unicorn space. Mm -hmm. And you never know what's on the other side of it. That's the, that's the other lesson that I walked away. It's like, you're doing this for you and that's so important. And that should be all that, that should be enough. And yet, you know, whether that's like writing a book or, As you know, like you put the book out in the world, you have these intentions, you meet those expectations, but then there's all this other stuff that could happen that is beyond your wildest dreams that you also deserve, but maybe you hadn't even thought of it, but that's exciting. Well, I think that's the beauty of this process because it's almost the same as if you say, I wanted to write a life manifesto that combines my humor that I learned through stand-up comedy plus uh, attacking fear, you'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? Right. <laughs> um, so I think a lot of people think, you know, when they see you and your book comes out, they think that somehow, you know, that's why I always hated the secret because mm-hmm. this idea of manifesting, like you don't, that manifesting is iterative, so you, you manifest the, the, the small step, the thing, right? And then it ends up building on each other. So to me, it's not, it's more of a building block than a manifestation because, you know, the, as you said, you don't know where it's going to lead you. You did not set out to write the um, life tome of wisdom and humor, but you, you were able to get there because you invested in these small steps along the way. And I think that is what the beauty of unicorn space is. It doesn't have to feel overwhelming. It, Renee Brinkerhoff did not say I'm going to race in 12 years in Antarctica. I love the idea of a big, hairy, audacious, authentic goal if you have one. But if you're somebody who is stuck and doesn't even know where to start, those big, hairy, audacious goals can feel like maybe they're only from Mark Zuckerberg or the very you know few rich men you know, that you see in your Facebook feed, start small, start curious. And I'd say same thing for our kids. I want Mm -hmm. us to retire saying to our kids, I wish you were, I just wish happiness for you. I just want you to be happy and start saying, you know what? I just wish you a life of curiosity, Mm -hmm. connection with others and some completions. So you don't live in unfulfilled dreams. That's what I say to my kids. That's what I wish for them. And the other night I asked my daughter, what are all the things you want to be? I don't ask her what's, what's, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, give me your list. And I, I love asking her right before bed because she's got a long list. She wants to be a teacher, an astronaut, a dancer. 
I said, what's your favorite? And she said, I want to, I think teaching. And I thought that's really, really great. And, and, and a shout out to all the teachers out there that are just, we're not being nice enough to our teachers right now. It's a hard and time. And by the way, teaching can mean so many different things, right? I mean, sure. I'm teaching my son, Zach, how to do a Bollywood hip hop dance right now for a class, you know, in India. So I mean that, that he has to learn, you know, in his group. And I'm like, oh, I'm a choreographer, so I can help you with this dance, right? Teaching... The beauty about understanding your values, your motivations, is that the way you manifest them, humor, one of furnishes, you know, I'll say your, your, your values is humor. Um, so that manifested itself in this beautiful, beautiful path, but it could have manifested itself in, in other ways. Sure. Right? I, don't, I don't know where my dance is going to lead me. I have no idea where this murder mystery idea <laughs> is going to lead me. Except let's circle for that back. Yes. Yes. Let's, let's circle, circle back. back. Let's circle back. Uh, oh my God. I can't, I love watching you, Eve. I love watching you blossom and impact so many people. I look forward to being on your podcast one day when this book is out. And in the meantime, everybody get yourself, get all the people you love in your life. This book, find your unicorn space, reclaim your creative life in a too busy world. Eve Rotsky, thank you. Thank you. Thanks again to Eve for joining us. Her book, Find Your Unicorn Space, is available everywhere. As a reminder, if you have a question for me for our Friday episodes of Ask Farnoosh, you can text message me, 415-942-5002. Make sure you're signed up for the So Money newsletter for all the latest updates, insights, giveaways. I'll see you back here on Wednesday, and I hope your day is so money. Money.